Hello everyone and welcome back to Black Hair Care No Chasers. So this is episode two. Um, it's really like episode 20 billion because I have recorded it 20 billion and 39 times. I swear to God, um, this one episode has just sent me through the ringer. You would think that by now I would have like memorized the whole script and just have it ready to go and just repeat it all over again. But no, that's not really the way I work. So um, episode two, it's all about making space for black women in the black hair care industry, which I know from the title, it sounds like, well, duh, of course there's space in the black hair care industry for black women. How could it not be? You'd be surprised. Like, seriously, you might be surprised. We're going to talk about some of the statistics. We're going to talk about something that kind of happened um in my little world recently and we're gonna talk about like how i feel about some of this stuff and hopefully i'll get some feedback from you all you know you can always send your feedback to hey kenisha at tutus um tennisshoes.com all right so that's where your feedback goes um i think there's some comment boxes on itunes and stuff too so if there's comment boxes by all means fill them in if nothing else, please review the podcast. Go ahead and subscribe so we can grow these numbers and get some good things going on, all right? All right, so let's jump into the topic of this evening. Um, the backstory is I'm in one of these groups. There's a transracial adoptive mom. The question, um, she said she's a beautiful, she has a, she's a mom of multiple beautiful young ladies that are black, African-American, but she lives in a very prominently white or Hispanic community. And she spent the last several years learning to take care of her children's hair. She knows how to do cornrows and box braids and add in um, extensions for longer styles. Um, but, and she does wish that there had been someone she could have gone to to help her learn those things. So now that she feels pretty confident in her abilities and skills, um, she wants to help others. She said that she would love to offer free braiding and hair care for kids of color in the foster care community. And, but at the same time, she's feeling like it might be appropriation. She's not quite sure. Um, so she was asking for everyone's thoughts and she was asking whether or not she should offer this help to other white foster parents. She said she was feeling a little conflicted. Now, mind you, when I first read this, one of my clients tagged me in the post i think if she hadn't tagged me i might have missed it because you know when you're in these groups and it's got like a couple thousand people in there you don't get to see everything not everything pops up in your newsfeed so one of my clients had tagged me in it uh i couldn't sleep through the night because i was really anxious about this whole move and yeah we'll talk about that at the end of the episode um so i'm up it's three o'clock in the morning i'm up and here's this whole post now, you know, when you're tired, you kind of have some extra emotions because you're already tired. Your brain ain't fun functioning right. So I'm like, why does she even think this is okay? Like, she's tripping. But then I had to check myself. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Get your life. Get out your feelings. Like, find something nice to say. Well, I didn't find anything sugar-coated to say. But I did let her know that, you know, I didn't agree with the idea. I didn't think it was a great idea for her to just jump out there and be like, hey, y'all. I got you, let you let let me teach you all my skills. The other part of it is she posted this question with the picture and the picture had these gorgeous braids on it, right? They were like cornrows into a ponytail and they were really nice looking and everybody was complimenting on how great her work was. 
except for the fact that wasn't her work. So like at the bottom of her original post, in parentheses, it says, picture is not of my work. And then in the comments, it said it, she had pictures of her own work. Um, there was a big difference in the skill and the quality of this styling between the two. Now, the picture that was on the original post, that would, you know, that would be commendable. Like, yes, girl, you got it. Absolutely, you have enough of a skill set to teach somebody. And then the pictures in the comments section, which was really her work, was like, oh, okay, that's cute. I see where you're going with that. Okay, um, keep practicing. Like, it wasn't that it was bad. It was just that it was definitely a keep practicing type thing, right? So I don't feel like just off her skill set, it was appropriate for her to think that she should go out into the world and teach, um, especially not make something organized of it. Like, say her homegirl or somebody, her friend, you know, her girlfriend came over and they were like, well, I'm really struggling I almost have cornrows, but not quite. Can you show me how you pick up hair? She could legit do that. Got it. No issues. But to say, this is my skill set. This is how I do my daughter's hair. Now, I'm going to teach you how to duplicate that too, because I got it. Hmm, that was a stretch. That would have, that really would have like, yep, she deserved a timeout for that one. Okay. So, um, moving on. Let's talk about some of the other reasons why it was a tad bit offensive that she decided that this was her thing and this is what she should do. Um, one, braiding, despite what some people say, is somewhat culturally relevant, which is why she was saying she thought that this could possibly be borderline cultural appropriation. And she wasn't mistaken. It is borderline that. When you decide to go out and make a organized effort of taking the skill that is very much so connected to the culture of the people, you are basically, you are appropriating it. Why is it that you feel like you need to be the person to go out and do it? I mean, yeah, she did state that she is in a predominantly Latino and white community, but how did you learn? Were there black women that taught you? So if there were black women that taught you, whether they were on the internet or not, is it not possible to somehow figure out how to connect those women? I'm just saying, I feel like there might be some other ways. So the other thing was, if you're already in a predominantly white and Latino community, does that mean that the kids in foster care are also not seeing women of color? So they're not seeing any cultural mirrors. And the only people they have to provide them with their needs are white women that look like you. Do you not see how that might skew their perception of what's good in the world or of what people provide um, the necessities? So again, if you learned how to cornrow, then there has to be somebody that is culturally appropriate to teach these other young ladies how to cornrow. That would also give them somebody to look up to that serves as a mirror for themselves. Like I'm just, maybe 
maybe I'm misunderstanding something. Maybe, you know, I'm missing something. So I don't know. I went online to see if there was a little bit more information or something to kind of support how I was naturally feeling because you can't just operate off of total feelings. So what I, some of the things I found online are some great statistics, you know, those numbers that keep count of everybody and makes non-believers believers. Let me share some of those with you. The hair care industry in the United States has the most lucrative hair care market of any country in the world. We generate about 15 billion US dollars in revenue. This information is from 2017 on the statistic.com website. It also says that the global market is 88 billion. So there's a whole heck of a lot of money floating around in the hair care industry. Yet minorities in America are black people. And well, one of the minorities, it's not the total minority. Um, and quite a few of us are not living above the, po the poverty income level. So what is happening? How is there so much money floating around in this industry? And we use a lot of this industry, but yet we are not benefiting from much of this industry, right? So the hair care industry in the United States um, itself, like I said, is huge. But how does that affect the black community? Like what, what part do we have in there? I went to the Nielsen website, nielsen.com, and it show, it has a graph of the black dollars. So ethnic hair and beauty aids, black people spend about $54.4 million, which is 85% of the money that is spent in that category. In that category, we spend 85% of the money, but we do not get 85% of the money back. Like that is going directly out of our communities. It is not enhancing anything that is long-term other than our looks. That's really sickening. So yeah, it is an internal problem that we uh, are using a lot of our money for something that could be considered superficial, but we all know that um, it's not quite as easy as just saying, well, hair care is superficial because, you know, black folks got to try twice as hard to get anything that white folks achieve. So there's a lot of misconceptions in that. We don't get grace really to just have our hair looking crazy. Now, not to say that some people don't choose to do it, but there's a lot of extra negative connotation that goes along with it when we do do it. It's not that you're just having a bad hair day. You're probably going to be labeled and tagged as ghetto, uneducated, um, a project chick, all kind of, and that's an old one from a song. But anyway, y'all get what I'm saying? Like all kinds of just out there terms that don't necessarily fit the situation. It could just simply be, I was tired. I didn't feel like doing my hair. Whereas a white woman may have her messiest bun, hasn't shampooed it in four or five days, and she's immediately given the... Oh, it's been a tough week, honey. Huh? Are you okay? Is there something I can do for you? So I kind of see both sides. Like I kind of can see that maybe we need to make better choices and prioritize our money better. But then I can also see how in society it pushes us to spend a lot of money on our appearance. All right. So I still kept looking. I ended up stumbling upon Glamour.com in an article by Noelle Simone Walker. 
She stated that African-Americans still lag behind other groups when it comes to business ownership. She said that we account for roughly 12% of the population, yet we only own 3.3% of the businesses. And then she went on to talk about some of the factors that contribute to this. They include less capital, low loan approval rates, higher interest rates. That's not surprising though. We are talking about the same group of people that were intentionally redlined from owning property. So I hope you didn't think that when we were redlined, it was just like home ownership. No, this would have been commercial property also. And it still happens. So like if a black person decided, oh, I wanna open a beauty supply store. Do you know the uphill battle that is ahead of them? First of all, they got to be able to afford that storefront. And most of the time it's to rent. It's not even to own it. So now you're at the whim of your owner and whatever they choose to install. Woo, it's a storm outside. Y'all hear that? Jeez Louise. Um, secondly, they have to fill their store. A lot of the products and hair, um, like the extensions, they come from Asia. And so Asians are directly benefiting from our hair care industry, but we are not. Most of the time, our products are so high as far as like buying them in large amounts for a store. They're so high in price that when you're just starting out, especially if you're not getting a business loan, you don't have any capital, you don't have the family resources that are giving you a couple thousand to invest, it's dang near impossible to make those orders and have the products and fill your store. So then what do you do? Or if you get the products, you're not, you're barely meeting the minimum order for the wholesale like requirements, right? So then your products are coming in at a higher price than say the mid K or the such and such beauty, amazing beauty down the street. So then your main population of people they're choosing that other store over yours because they save a little bit of money over there and they're in the same community as you. So they're having the same financial strains as you. And yeah, they may be valuing their appearance more than say other ethnicities. They're still valuing, valuing it within a certain window of income. Just because they're spending a higher amount does not mean that their income is greater. <sighs> it's just so much when it comes to trying to actually make a long-term sustainable business out of the hair care industry. I went on looking at statistics and information to see what else I could find. And the U.S. government census says that um, black, black and Black-owned American businesses are on the rise within the female world. Like, so mostly... So most of the businesses that are being opened that are new are by black women, yet there are still disparities in that. Even though most of the businesses that are being opened that are African-American owned are by black women, black women are not seeing the income still. The, actually, the census says, even though black or African-American owned businesses are predominantly woman owned, so at 58.9%, the reverse was true for the revenue. Approximately two-thirds, 66.7% of the $150.2 in sales generated by Black or African-American-owned firms were male-owned businesses. That equals to $101 billion. So we're opening up three times as many, three times as many businesses and still only getting half the money. How in the world is this possible? And then if you try to think about like what that looks like in real life, more than likely, a lot of these women 
these women are mothers. They're balancing the home and career, um, the home and career responsibilities on, all by themselves. Um, not everybody's a single parent. I'm not saying that. But when you're a woman, you're pushed because our society pushes us to value your home more so than anything else. But then at the same time, you got to be able to afford to do that. Like we don't live in a time where you can just um, be a stay at home mom and it not be a financial strain, especially if you already come from a family that doesn't have a whole lot of wealth. So how are you supposed to just value being a mom um, and, and take care of your family? It's dang near impossible. But yet women are still trying and they're still trying to open all these businesses, but they're still only seeing half the income. That's just not fair. So if we circle back around to this original post that kind of set me down this voyage, this white woman who's probably at least stable, financially stable, but more than likely she's a little affluent and I'm, I'm making assumptions and they're not based on anything in particular other than that's kind of the trend in the transracial adoptive communities um, that these women have some, you know, some savings. Mom and dad probably had a little money or at least they're there to support them. They don't have the gener generational curse of poverty that most black women are dealing with. Um, so she's already a little bit ahead. If we were running a race, she'd be at the starting line and the black woman would be somewhere down the block just trying to get to the daggone stadium to race her. It's not fair for you to jump in with the skills that you learn um, from other black women and then just say, well, I'm gonna teach them. There are so many things that surround this whole idea um, that already make it unfair. And then when you jump in with your head start and say, well, I'm going to do this. It's just like a kick in the face, honestly. I think that's where a lot of my feelings are coming from without me having the information to back it up. Me looking it up just confirmed what I already felt. Besides that, historically, the salons and the barbershops were our meeting places. That, that was like our safe zones. When stuff was going on, when the racial tensions were high, aside from somebody's church, we could go in our neighborhood salon and barbershop. Our kids' first little jobs were sleeping on the floor at the barbershop. When we didn't have babysitters, our babies went with us to the salon. You know, it's, it's just kind of, it's really kind of, um, what words do I even want to use to describe it? It's just really kind of disrespectful. I mean, it's nothing really simple. It's nothing really, there's no other way to like add on any, again, it's not sugarcoated on this podcast. It's really just disrespectful. You, you're not even that great of a braider. And besides that, there's already vanilla care for chocolate hair. She's doing enough. She's not giving much credit to where she learned her information from. And other white women who have not interacted with black women and find it to be uncomfortable are eating that information up. They're not seeking anything outside of her. They're carrying around her little booklet, telling their daughters to pick out their styles and never actually having conversations with black women or either or even other black little girls that are outside of their household. I think it would be better for us to stand shoulder to shoulder and see how we can figure this out together. So if white women ever find themselves in a situation, especially in a community that is not diverse, seek out a black woman and offer to partner with her, if anything, or offer to be her support system so that she can come into your community and help the black children and so that she feels supported. If she already has her business, 
help support that business, help take it to the next level. You do realize that some of the kids that are in the foster care system are simply because poverty is criminalized in the black community, right? Like I know that's not everybody's story. I realize that there are bad there are parents who make bad decisions, who have put their children at risk or put drugs in their system. I realize that. I'm not necessarily talking about those. I'm talking about some of the ones where the parents are genuinely trying, but they're just broke. And there are so many things in our system that is set up to keep people, especially minorities, broke, that we need to take our resources if you have them and stand beside another woman who doesn't have them and offer that bridge. I think that's doable. If you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you're of the same mindset on some level. It's probably because you're interested in trying to figure out how we bridge the gaps and how do we do the best we can by these by these children, all of them, whether they're adopted, they're bio, they're in foster care, whatever. You're trying to figure out ways that we can um, come together and give them better opportunities and a better life. And sometimes that doesn't mean you have to go save them or it doesn't mean that you have to act alone. Sometimes it means you just need to be a support system for someone else who's already trying to step into that direction. Well, I feel like I should end this podcast because when I tried to take it any longer than this, we're at 21 minutes, the whole website just shut down and froze on me. If you have any comments or anything sparked some thoughts, please message me at heykanisha at com. Again, remember to review and remember to subscribe. I will talk to you guys later. Have a good day.